the energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show here on a Patriots Win Monday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Full show tonight, all 90 minutes. We're up until 7 o'clock. Then we kick it to jazz with George Thomas. No red, no baseball anymore. It was nice to kick it to World Series action for a few days here, but baseball season is over. We have, like, we have a zillion things to get to. We're going to get to uh, my talk with UVM basketball star Aaron Deloney. The Catamounts open up their season tonight against Brown. I'm going to be there after the show. So Aaron Deloney and I spoke earlier. That that, uh, interview will be heard about 6.30 or so. A lot of you might be on your way to Patrick Jim at that point. So 6.30 for Aaron Deloney. Uh, We'll discuss the Mitchell Miller fallout with the Bruins. We talked about him on Friday. Some housekeeping with the Red Sox. Now the baseball season is over. And we'll unpack the Patriots at about 6.15. Why are we unpacking the Patriots at 6.15 when we usually do it at about 5.45? Well, I've got a couple things to say. That's for sure. You can get in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. That's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can watch us on video, Facebook Live, Twitter Live, and my uh, and our YouTube channel as well. Five, four, three. Two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and by Swanton Lumber. Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. So Jess and I went to the Patriots game yesterday. Patriots win 26-3. They blow out the Colts. They're now 5-4. and four. That's great. Uh, let's talk about everything that happened leading up to the game for me. Because I put this out on Twitter yesterday. We got to our seats at about 1245. I'll tell you why it was so late as part of this whole rant in a second. So on Twitter, I put out a picture of the stadium from our seats at 1245. I said, I already have a full show's worth of material, and the game hasn't even started yet. I had a full show's worth of material And the game, we hadn't even kicked off yet. That is how interesting, interesting the weekend was. Let me just take it through. Let me take you through it from start to finish, okay? It was a trip. Some of it was great. Some of it was horrible. But let's get to it here. So a little background, right? A little background first. Jess and I went to a Patriots game last season. We went on January 2nd. So in the year 2022, but last season, January 2nd, regular season, the home finale against Jacksonville. Okay, We had a great time, and we had a very easy time with kind of all the, with all the logistics. So we stayed at the Hilton in Dedham, Massachusetts, maybe about, I don't know, 25 minutes or so away from Foxborough. We had 
uh, a great dinner in Dedham. It was awesome. There was a Patriots game day shuttle. It was a, a train shuttle that picked up right outside our hotel, literally like a four-minute walk right there. We got in. We got out of Foxborough. It was super simple. Last year, January 2nd, this plan worked awesome. So I, I just was like, look, let's just book the exact same thing we did a year ago. We know it works. We know where everything is. We have a little bit of an idea about what's going on. We'll have a great dinner again. Let's just do the same thing. Just was like, sure, that was great. So last, last season, this whole plan was great. Worked awesome. Yeah, this weekend, maybe could not have gone worse. It's like we were... We were cursed from the start. So let me get, let me take you back to the beginning. We leave, we leave Vermont Saturday morning at about eight fifteen in the morning, and we've got to go two hours plus out of our way. And the reason why, so it's like a three hour and twenty minute trip to Foxborough or to our hotel from from Vermont. We had to go two hours out of the way, so now it's a five and a half hour trip. And the reason why was because of our own doing. Now that's fine. We needed to drop off our dog with Jess's parents, and they're going this way. We're going that way. It, we, we elected to more inconvenience ourselves than to inconvenience them. So we already were up against the eight ball here. We drove two hours out of the way and dropped our dog off in Lake George with Jess's parents. Thought to ourselves, no big deal. We're both from the area. We're both from Albany, so we're kind of near home. We're going to get lunch at Lake George. We'll do some shopping at the outlets. Just kind of make it, like, yes, it's an inconvenience, but we'll make a day of it, you know, or, or a couple hours out of it. We'll have some fun. We ended up being in Lake George for maybe an hour and a half. It wasn't nothing crazy. couple shops, a couple sandwiches quickly, and then back on the road. Okay, fine. So, again, that was our own doing, but right off the bat, we're up early. We're on the road early. We're two hours out of the way. So we finally get going. We get on the road. And now we're cooking. And it's ridiculously warm out, right? We all know how warm it was on Saturday. So as we get to outside of Springfield, Massachusetts, because now, again, we've gone a completely different way because we're starting this trip in Lake George at this point. So we get to outside of Springfield, Massachusetts. It's 2.30 or so, maybe 3. And the temperature gauge in the car, the thermometer reads, 80 degrees. I'm like, damn, it's November 5th and it's 80 degrees. Okay, that's fine. Like, it, it's weird, but it's fine. So we get to the hotel about 4 or 4.30. We're planning on, we're going to unpack, we're going to check in, we're going to have a drink or two, we're going to Uber to dinner, we'll probably get to dinner at like 6.30 or so. That's our plan. So we're going to kind of be around the hotel getting ready for two hours. Okay, great. So we get in. Carrying all of our stuff. And you know that feeling when you're carrying in all of your stuff. Now, we're only going to be there for a night, so it's not terrible, but we're carrying in everything. I got duffel bags on each arm, and I'm rolling a cooler, etc. And I got a 12-pack of beer in my duffel bag that's weighing me down. You, you know what I'm talking about. So I get into the lobby, and it's hotter inside the lobby than it is outside. I just told you it was 80. It's hotter in the lobby than it was outside. We go into the elevator to get to our fourth floor room. And now I'm sweating. Just being in the elevator for 18 seconds. We go into our room, and the temperature, the thermometer says it's 76 degrees in the room. It's 76. It is 4.30 in the afternoon. And now we're on the fourth floor. There's big windows in hotel rooms. It's probably a bit of a greenhouse effect. So it says 76. It feels a little worse, I'm sure, though. So I'm like, okay, that's... Man, it's hot out, but it's hot in here. <sighs> okay. So 
like, well, we got some time. We turn the air on. We set it to as cold as it can go. I get a drink. You know, I have a drink or two. I'm like, okay, great. So by 630, now we're calling the Uber. Now we're ready to go. The temperature really hasn't gone down in the room. But I'm like, all right, by the time we get back from dinner, now we're going to be good. So we go out. We're going to the restaurant. We have a great dinner. Dinner was awesome, just as good as it was last year. We hit a shop or two in the plaza where, where it was. That's great, too. We get the Uber back. We get back to the hotel, 930 or so. The temperature reads 75 degrees. In the room, 75 degrees. Now it's 930 at night. It has gone down one degrees. You are one degree. You are sweating in the room. It's unbelievable. Like it's not killing us as much because we're watching the World Series. We had a great dinner. We have a beer. So it's okay. But it's uncomfortable. Jess goes down to the front desk, and she's kind of investigating now. She goes to the front desk, and she brings back up this information. She tells me that the front desk has told her all of the rooms in the building are in the exact same spot. The hotel has shut off the air conditioning. The air conditioning, nobody has access to it because the hotel's like, hey, it's November. We're not going to need the air conditioning and spend that money. So the heat is now on. So the heat is on. The air conditioning is incapable of being worked. So us doing the temperature did absolutely nothing. All we hear is that the maintenance guy is going to come up soon to open the window. That's all that can be done. Maintenance guy is going to open the window. Why does the maintenance guy need to open the window? You're not able to open the windows at this hotel yourself. And I kind of get that, right? Hotels don't want the ability for people to open up the window and fall out or jump. So I kind of get that. So we're waiting for the hotel guy to come up, for the maintenance guy to come up. Hour goes by. We're still watching the game. Game goes late. We're watching some of the post-game stuff. So, again, it's hot and it's uncomfortable, but I'm not mad. It's not like it's keeping me from going to bed. Hour goes by. World Series game ends. Astros win it. I go down. I go, hey, my fiance was just down here an hour ago. I was told the maintenance guy is going to come up and open our window. Like, what's going on? Front desk calls him. He answers. He'll be right up. Okay. 15 minutes goes by, he comes there with some fancy tool to open up the window. There are six window panels in this room. He's allowed to open one of them. It's the one on the far left. It is the smallest one. Does, doesn't do anything. Literally does nothing. So now it's about 1 o'clock in the morning. Now you want to go to bed and you're just dying. Game's over. No longer drinking beer. Just dying. So on November 5th, for the first time in my life, I, life, I'm sure, I slept shirtless and with no blanket, and I was still sweating as we went to bed. So that's the uncomfortableness of the sleep. Then, at about 6.30 in the morning, right, it's light out, your body is kind of readapted to, or is, is on a different time, so it's 6.30 in the morning, it's light out, the clocks have changed. I, I, I got to go to the bathroom, and I'm like, as I'm going to the bathroom, I'm like, what is this piercing noise? Oh, the fire alarm is going off at 6.30 in the morning. And look, I'll be honest with you. I, like, I went to college and lived in a dorm. I have waited out multiple fire alarms in my life. Like, in my mind, I'm like, there's nothing going on here. Somebody pulled it. There's something too sensitive got caught in the system. Like, I'm just going to sleep through this thing. I don't know what Jess is going to do, but I'm going to sleep through this. I go to the bathroom. I go back to bed. I'm, I'm laying here. 
To me, again, I've slept through fire alarms before, or at least stayed in rooms through fire alarms before. I'm like, this is not gonna, this is not gonna affect me at 6:30 in the morning. Jess goes out to check what's going on. Everybody's racing for the hills. So then she comes back in. She's like, you know what? We should go down there. Okay, put on a shirt, groggy. Go down there at six in the six thirty in the morning. Wait outside. As I predicted, fire department comes, takes a five minute scope of the building. Then we're all back in there. So now it's hotter than hell, and the fire alarm has gone off at six thirty in the morning. And guess what? I'm told by somebody next to us the fire alarm did the exact same thing the night the day before before we even got there. And look, this was a Hilton. This was a $230 hotel room for the night. And look, I can afford it. We can afford it. But like this was our one weekend to do something fun where we didn't have our dog or we were just doing it with us. We're going to go to the game. We're pumped. We're having a nice dinner, watching the World Series. $230 hotel. This is a Hilton. This is not the Red Roof Inn. This is not the One Star Special. This is not the O'Connell Lodge in Oswego, New York, where I used to see people going. This is a Hilton. You shouldn't be dealing with this crap. So it now, so we get back in, I go back to bed for a little bit, wake up, sweat my tail off again because it's hotter than hell one more time. Then I go down as we're about to leave, right? We're about to catch the train to go to the game. I go to the front desk guy. I'm like, hey, I'm like, I am awful, horrific at confrontation. Like, I don't want to yell at waitresses. I don't want to yell at ch- cashiers. I, they didn't create the problems, there, and I don't want to give them my venom. So this hotel guy who's checking in people, I'm not trying to give a hard time to. But I go to him, hey, how can I start the process of, of asking for money back on this trip? He, he asks what room I'm in, pulls up my confirmation. He goes to me, well, you booked the trip through Expedia.com. You didn't book it through us, so now they're the ones who have to you have to deal with. So... Okay, so I go to Expedia.com. I'm trying to file a complaint. No wonder, like these companies, clearly my mistake for booking through a third party company. But these companies evidently, they don't want you to be able to complain about anything because still to this moment, I have not found where I can complain to Expedia.com yet. I hit file a complaint. Well, what's your policy number? What policy number? I look at my reservation, the policy number pending. I don't need it to be pending. I need it to be now so I can get my $230 back or at least half of my $230 back. I think that would be nice. So I still haven't figured out how to formally complain and try to get my money back. If any of you know, go right ahead and tell me, 802-585-3026. So then, let's fast forward a little bit. So we get to the train station. Train's 15 minutes late. Okay. We get to Foxborough, 1210. Kickoff's 105. One o'clock. As we get off the train, big guy, yellow jacket, some kind of security type looks at us and goes, hey, you might want to check that. I look around. I'm like, you talking to me, buddy? Was you. You might want to check that. He's pointing at Jess's purse. Jess's very, very tiny purse. And he goes, that might not make it in. That's against bad policy. She's like, this thing is like nothing. What are you talking about? No, she didn't say that, but I'm thinking that. She's like, so we kind of ignore that guy. We're going to walk up anyways. Get to the place where they hand the ticket. Guy goes, that's against bag policy. So now what are the options, we ask? Well, you can throw out the bag, or you can go check the bag, and the locker's down there for 20 bucks for the game. 20 bucks to check a bag that's like 
one inch bigger than it's supposed to be, apparently. Fine. So we mosey on over to the lockers. Pay the $20. Okay? We empty the contents of Jess's bag into my pockets. All it was was lipstick and uh, credit cards. That's literally all that was in it. So now the bag is empty. It's being checked. And I've got everything in my pockets. We go pay the ticket. They never asked me to look in my pockets. They never asked me to check my pockets. I thought the whole thing about the bag policy was for customer safety, right? For patron safety. They didn't want you to have big bags so you didn't be smuggling things in. Meanwhile, I'm carrying stuff in my pockets between my own stuff and her stuff. Like I'm like I'm being weighed down by dumbbells and nobody looks. I'm like, we can't have this bag because it's not safe potentially. But yet my pockets are fair game to be just stuffed with whatever the hell I want them to. So then... We finally deal with that, go up to the seats. Seats are awesome. Same seats we sat in last year. Bought them from a friend, good friend, has season tickets, bought the seats, same spot. Awesome. Second level, section 203. Seats are sick, right in the corner of the end zone. It's 1240. It's 1240. And 1240, 1245, as I said. Sit down, pumped. Hotel's done. It's a beautiful It's a beautiful day, right? It's a little cloudy, but there's no precipitation. It's not cold. I'm in, a, I'm in shorts and a T-shirt. And there's a nice wind, which feels really good after the hot night of no sleep. As I sit down, what do I feel? Like a giant water balloon comes down from above and lands on my leg, and my leg's now a giant puddle. And then it happens again and again. And I'm like... Is it raining only in this part of the stadium? What is going on here? No, no, no. Here's what happened. These great seats, these seats which I love, and they are great seats. And if the guy who gave them to me is listening, I love the seats. This is not a shot at you or the seats. But right above these seats is the third level's corner. Like, the third level wraps around and stops, and the corner of the third level is right above these seats. Well, somehow, some way, there's water dripping from the corner of the third level. Don't know if it's a leak, someone spilled something, if it rained overnight, someone hosed down something, I don't know. But nonetheless, there's this slow drip of water from the corner of the third level landing on top of us. And it's not just us. There's probably six seats to the left of us and the three rows in front of us. There's probably about an 18-seat perimeter here in the stadium that's getting wet. Probably 18 seats. And... We're one of them. So the entire game, drip, 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 drip. Then some wind would come and it would blow on somebody else. Then when, then it would come back and it would fall back on us. And every time you look up, drip, 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 drip. And that was the day. You can't sleep at night because the hotel's too hot. Then the fire alarm goes off. Then I can't get my money back easily because Expedia.com is like FortKnox.com. You can't even figure out where the hell to go. Policy numbers that don't exist. Then you can't have a bag that's bigger than the size of a Post-it note, apparently. And then you, uh, then you get dripped on. The Patriots won, though. So there was that. And dinner was great. But that was my day in Foxborough. That was my day. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com. All right, let's say what's going on. 
here. Uh, let's let's get the text. Um, Steve says, "Holy blank, laugh my tail off." I'm glad that my misery can be your humor here on this Monday. Uh, oh, then a texter wants to know, but how does the ankle feel at this point of the trip? I will say this: my ankle felt good. My ankle felt good. I was able to walk. I'm wearing though a. I'm I'm at this nice dinner on Saturday with this giant black compression sock on. And I didn't want to go to this dinner with its giant black compression sock on because we were dressed up nicely. So I had to wear jeans to cover up the compression sock. So now I'm hot as hell outside, too, at dinner because of that. Uh, but my ankle is better. A little bit of swelling. Most of the purple is gone. I'm wearing the compression sock as we feel right now. I'm hoping to be 85% by Thursday's Men's League Hoops playoff game. I'm hoping to be back. But I was able to walk, and that's appreciated. Then we come back on the train. And I told you all about my kind of neurosis complex about, like, I'm always afraid that I didn't lock doors or things like that. It's getting really bad as I get older. We go back to the train. And the guy points to us, this train goes towards Providence, and this train goes towards Boston. And I'm thinking to myself, which way do we want to go? Which way do we want to go? I'm pulling up on my phone. Okay, our stop is on. Which way? Okay, Boston. Then we got on the train. I look at Jess and go, you think we're on the right one? I had to have said it like five times. And then I couldn't hear the announcements from the train people over all the drunk people on the train talking. So I know they're making an announcement. If you're getting off at Dedham, go to this part of the car. And I'm like, I can't hear a thing. We're going to get left here. So for like 10 minutes, I'm not talking, just nervously shaking, thinking we're going to get left on the train because it's going to leave without us because we're not in the proper spot to get off. But she called me down. We made it. We got back. I stopped at Taco Bell in West Lebanon, New Hampshire. That made my night better. The Seahawks won. The Patriots won. So all that was good. But leading up to it, my goodness gracious. Leading up to it, my goodness gracious. Uh, Texter says, Brady, I love this story. Next time we'll take a stretch limousine. This Listener wants to take me to Foxborough in a stretch limousine. If you don't tell me who you are and where you're from, I can't get in a vehicle with you. My parents said don't get in a car with strangers. You want to tell me who you are, I'll make friends with you like when I made friends with Steve. We went to the Red Sox game together with listener Steve. Tom says, uh, my wife knows how to complain to Expedia. I'll have her text you on this line. I'm on my way to the UVM game. Good. I'll be at the UVM game later. I'll be sitting courtside, so come on over and say hi, Tom. Ross says, Brady, I think you just had bad luck. And Texter says, Brady, welcome to Foxborough, Massachusetts. You wonder why Belichick is always so grumpy. Then you throw into the mix this. Just to make matters, just to get one last one last needle in. I come to work today. Do you hear this? Can you hear that in the background? That is the back to our chair in the studio. Doesn't sound very stable, does it? It's now missing the little wheel thing that keeps it in place. So as I lean back, I lean back and almost fell completely out of it. The whole thing moves side to side and rotates. I'm now sitting in the chair backwards because it's the only way to keep it stable. And now my back is sore. So that's where we're at today. Like, I'm going to tell George Thomas about this, and I don't want George wiping out on this chair. That's 23 minutes of my experience at the game. 802-585-3026. You all can continue to get in, but there, 
it's better for the radio that the experience goes like this than if everything went so smoothly. But when you're living it, not as good, not as fun. That's for sure. Getting drip, 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 dripped on the whole game. I mean, that was a. Uh, it was, that was, you know, you dry off because the wind would blow one way, then it would come back two minutes later, and all of a sudden you are completely, uh, you are completely just, uh, you know, shoulders wet, faces wet, hats wet. Uh, Texter says, go get parts at Waterbury True Value to fix the chair. That's great. They'll have the parts. I don't have the handyman power. I, I am a flatlander. I know how to talk, and I know about sports, and I can't fix things very easily. I'll try. Maybe Danny from a Vermont Viewpoint. He seems to be pretty handy. Maybe he can do it. All right. We're going to unpack the Patriots at about 6.15. We're going to save, I'm going to save my thoughts, really, for them. I'm still collecting my thoughts here. Because once the game actually started, the game was just atrocious. The game was just atrocious. The Pats won. They're 5-4. and four, They're over 500. They're playoff relevant. I am thrilled about that. But my goodness, have you ever been less impressed by a 23-point win? Offensively, the Patriots were just putrid. They were lucky the Colts were even more horrific because the Pats were horrific offensively yesterday. Defense was great. Offense elicited absolutely no confidence. Zero confidence. Patriots had 91 yards of offense at halftime. 91. 91. They finished the game with 203. They couldn't run. They couldn't pass. They couldn't block. There was no explosiveness. There was no element of anything exciting offensively. The Patriots were just a train wreck on that side of the ball. Just a train wreck. There was good stuff game-wise, special teams, defense. I mean, that was all great. We'll get to that in the next hour. But, I mean, my goodness. Like, you get the sense that if the Patriots were to play somebody good, they can't measure up. You just you you, you have to feel that way, don't you? Do, do you have any confidence that this team could beat a good team? I don't want to complain about 23-point victories. I really don't. I promise you. But have you ever felt worse about a 23-point win than you felt yesterday? Play calling was bad. Blocking was awful. Mac wasn't great. I just got this semblance. I just got this idea like you will get absolutely clobbered if you play anybody that has a semblance of what they're doing. And maybe the beauty of the NFL is Maybe nobody knows what they're doing. We think Buffalo does. Title favorite, I've got them three words or less. They lose to the Jets, who a week before couldn't get out of their own way. I mean, the Bengals, who who looked good offensively yesterday against an awful Carolina team, were killed by the Browns the week before. Maybe there's like two good teams and everybody else is just so average it doesn't matter. But I get the, sem- I get the idea that if the Patriots play anybody with any kind of competency – they're not going to be able to win. That they're not going to be able to win. Uh, Texter says, will Chicago, will that loss be their demise? Well, no, but it's not good. I would say if they get beat by Buffalo twice, if they get beat by 7-1 Minnesota on Thanksgiving, that those would be three losses that right now you're looking at and saying are likely. 
And if you get those three losses, then you're automatically at seven for the rest of the year. This team went 10-7 and seven last year. Can they win every other game besides that? I don't know. Miami looks fairly good. Cincy certainly has the ability to be good. Now, Vegas looks like hot garbage right now, who you're going to see later. But even the Jets, I would have thought the Jets, on Friday, I would have thought the Patriots are going to kill the Jets and be 6-4. and four. Now I don't know. Now I don't know. Maybe nobody's good in the NFL. Uh, Alex says, if you're relying on your ability to speak knowledgeably about sports to make up for your lacking handyman skills, you might be in trouble. I kid. Thank you very much there. Much appreciated. Charlie says, you're right on all accounts, but any given Sunday, anyone can beat anybody. That's true. That's true. The, the Patriots, and you never know about injuries, right? Last year, the, the Titans were the number one seed in the playoffs. Patriots saw them without A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry, a game you thought they would have lost that they ended up winning based on who didn't play. They saw Cleveland without Nick Chubb. So, I mean, yes, you never know. But Minnesota's 7-1. and one. The Patriots are going to go on the road to Minnesota. Right now, it doesn't feel likely, it does not feel likely that they're going to be able to win that game. And you just feel like, you just feel like right now I just I have no confidence in this team offensively. Did the fans at the game want to see Bailey Zappi? Actually, no, because the Patriots were never losing. They were the natives were restless, trust me. But because the Pats were never losing and they also saw how bad the Colts were, no, it wasn't a Zappi thing. Uh all right. That's my experience at the game. We'll unpack the Patriots at about six fifteen. I got a I got to discuss the Mitchell Miller story with the Bruins again. So we're going to get the CBS News update. And then the Bruins release Mitchell Miller like two days after signing him. We'll talk about the story one more time. That's next right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. In at 802-585-3026. Now it's back with Brady Parker Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. The guy who I bought the tickets from says, uh, yeah, the water drips on my head, too. A little heads up would have been nice. I didn't know I needed an umbrella regardless of what the te- what the forecast calls for. I-, I stole that line from Bob, who says, I guess you need to bring rain gear no matter the forecast. But, no, the tickets were awesome. The seats were great. The lack of action wasn't particularly, uh, wasn't particularly great, but... And I didn't even mind getting dripped on that much. I guess when you've sweated to death the night before, a little water won't won't kill you. But uh, my goodness. UVM men's basketball tonight. Their opener is 55 minutes from now. A lot of you probably on your way to Patrick Jim to see the opener against Brown. We'll talk a little bit about the game about 6.30. Aaron Deloney, I spoke to him earlier. We're going to play that interview back at about 6.35 and kind of our own little uh, de facto pregame show in that segment. We'll unpack the Patriots here. In about 10 minutes, but I do want to get to a serious topic and a topic we talked about on Friday and got a lot of good feedback on. The Bruins over the weekend released Mitchell Miller, who is the player that we talked about on Friday. If you if you missed this, Mitchell Miller is the 20 year old that when younger, when 14 years old, when he was in middle school, racially abused and mocked and degraded a black classmate with developmental disabilities. He went to juvenile court for it. He was sentenced to community service for it. So this was a big deal. This was not just one person's claim in the woke mob. It wasn't any of that. 
This was a real thing that, that landed in juvenile court. The Bruins caught an endless wave of grief for this move, and in a 48-hour period, they released Mitchell Miller and said it was based on new information. They were releasing him based on new information. That's a hot load of garbage. Do not believe that. Okay? You can be happy the Bruins ended up doing the right thing. You can be happy that they got rid of this controversial player. Don't believe a word they tell you when they say we got rid of him based on new information. The Bruins didn't get new information. The Bruins had the information and ignored it, or the Bruins willfully ignored going out to find some of this information because it's out there. Trust me. I had heard of Mitchell Miller one time before Friday, and it was very, very easy for me to go find everything the Bruins apparently think was new. The Bruins didn't develop a conscience over the 48 hours between signing and releasing Mitchell Miller. The Bruins saw the outrage from fans, maybe even from corporate sponsors, and they did what they needed to do to protect themselves and their image. This wasn't about new information. This was about covering your own backside. And that's all this was, and you need to know it, and you need to trust me when I tell you that. The Bruins acted like this whole thing was an isolated incident. A simple Google search tells you that it wasn't. The family of this victim believes that these type of attacks on their son happened over a period of years. The Bruins either lied to us about it being a single incident, or they just willfully chose to ignore it. There's not, it's not new information. It's out there because I found it easily. The Bruins seem to think that Mitchell Miller apologized and took ownership of this. Guess what? Not hard to find out that the family doesn't believe it. That's out there. That's not new. The family believes that their son has suffered a lot of consequences as a result of Mitchell Miller, even suicidal attempts because of the harm that Mitchell Miller inflicted on, on their son. That's not new information that was out there and you either lied to us or you chose to ignore it. And the Bruins players questioned this move as it happened. The Bruins players, we heard, raised to stink about this. It's not new that they're unhappy. They were unhappy before the move was made. So this is not like, oh, we found out our players were mad. No, you knew your players were upset before and you chose to ignore them at the time. That is all out there. New information did not cause this. You ignored the facts and you ignored the feelings of multiple people involved and you didn't do a proper vetting of the situation. You hoped you could just skate by and the Bruins ultimately couldn't. So that's why they released the player. They released him over bad PR and nothing else. They didn't develop a conscious and they didn't get new information. That is a hot load of garbage. Now, Ross says it's a bad look for the Bruins. They were hiding Miller's pick. Uh, I'm sorry, they were hiding he was a uh, they were hiding Miller's past. Exactly. They knew or again, they chose to ignore. What happens next? Well, first, I want to give a little bit of credit to Patrice Bergeron, Brad Marchand, and others. They've spoken out publicly about how they were feeling. Now, they didn't out and out slam their organization. But you know it. You know it and I know it. As an employee, it's tough to take your employer to task publicly. So the fact that they said anything against the organization and against the front office, that should be commended. And I just want that out there. 
right? They, they didn't come out and slam the people they work for, but they really can't. The fact they said anything at all is a good thing, and they should be commended. And finally, my advice to Mitchell Miller is pretty simple. From this point forward, you need to work to be an ally. And it will start out for selfish reasons. He wants his hockey career back. He wants his hockey career to reach the pinnacles that he's always dreamed about. It will start out selfish. But then it needs to turn selfless. And when that turn happens, that's when real change will come, real growth will be achieved, and your next real opportunity can come about. Right? Have you ever been in a fight with your, with your girlfriend or boyfriend, and your girlfriend or boyfriend is complaining about you, complaining about you, you never do this, you never do this, you never do this. So then you do it. And obviously the first time you do it, you're doing it because you have to. You're doing it because they called you out on it. But then eventually, if you do it right, you're doing it because it is the right thing to do. That's how I feel with Mitchell Miller about this. He needs to call the family, the parents and the victim. And he needs to go there. And he needs to sit there. And he needs to listen and listen. And he needs to say, I'm sorry. And he needs to listen some more. And again, at the beginning, it is going to be selfish. Because he's got to start somewhere. And the family will question his motives. And they're going to keep questioning them. But he's got to prove over and over and over again it's legitimate, that he wants to be better. I do believe that mistakes or choices you make at 14 don't have to ruin your entire life. But there's got to be real growth for that not to be the case. And right now, Mitchell Miller hasn't shown that growth. Go to the family. Listen. Hear the stories. No matter how hard it is for you to hear it, hear it. And then go back again and go back again and send a Christmas card. And even if they don't accept it or ever write back, keep doing it. And then you need to go to diversity training. And you need to go work with kids with mental disabilities. And you need to do a lot of it outside of the public eye. You need to go play, you know, go, go coach and volunteer in the Challenger program. Safe. Sports are for everyone. You need to go and be a part of those organizations. And it's not just a donation, and it's not just a check, and it's not just a one-off for a half an hour just so you can look like you're putting in the time. It has to be real, and it has to be legitimate. You need to go and speak at schools. Mitchell Miller is 20 years old. He has a unique opportunity to relate to kids. Go speak to a junior high school, a group of eighth graders. Go speak to a high school. This is what it takes, and it's got to be legitimate. And if Mitchell Miller doesn't want to do it, then don't. Just be a bad person, but understand your hockey career is over. Because nobody is going to bring you in without these steps. If you want to be a bad person forever, that is your choice. If you want to play hockey, you have to do what I'm saying. You cannot run from your past. You cannot run from your problems. You have to embrace them, move, uh, move towards rectifying them, and you have to do it over and over again. I don't believe there's a proper amount of time that Mitch Miller needs to, uh, Mitchell Miller needs to put in to fulfill some requirement, but he's got to do this legitimately. And if he does it legitimately for the next three years, maybe he gets it at 23. Maybe it's 25. Maybe it's 28. 
but he he's young enough that his career doesn't have to be over. But he has to be able to show a willingness to grow that isn't just for his own benefit. Right? It's very easy. Yes, people are mad at me. I was me. I'm going to go do this one time. That's not what this is about. Okay? Again, you starting out, it will appear selfish. And it will be selfish. But then it's got to turn selfless. And when it does, and you're still there, still helping with this group or that group or still speaking, at that point, then I don't know if they'll ever forgive you. But at that point, I at least could sit there and say, I'm okay with my organization giving this guy a chance. Right? Look, this is totally different, and I understand some people never want to forgive him. But Michael Vick, people were able to largely not forgive, but some people were able to willing, willing to give him another chance because he didn't just write a check. He went to prison, so he served some time there. Then he came out and he worked, I think, PETA or Humane Society or something, but and he kept doing it. And you don't ever have to forgive him, but at least there are people that recognize the work. Mitchell Miller's got to put in the work. Tom Brenneman, I told you about the broadcaster on Friday, used a gay slur, and he paid. he's paid for it in terms of his career, but now he's still there. He's still working with LGBTQ plus groups. He's still doing it. He is still an ally, and it is now years of him doing it. That needs to be Mitchell Miller's path. It is now his calling, whether he wanted it to be or not. If he wants his hockey career back, he's got to be a better person. It is not just about being a better player anymore. It is about being a better person. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Ross says there's a lot of racial issues in Boston and it needs to stop immediately. Um, I think he's talking about fans to players. Well, what's that's a separate discussion. But, I mean, look, Mitchell Miller grew up in Ohio. Like, he didn't grow up in Boston. This is him being 14 years old and making horrible. Look, and these are choices. This is A mistake is when you you know, right that two plus two is three instead of two plus two is four. These were choices, conscious choices that evidently happened over a period of years. It's disgusting what Mitchell Miller did to this kid. But again, I believe, me, you don't have to. I believe that at 14 or when you're young, I believe you can make stupid choices and be a bad person, but then eventually grow. But thus far, he has shown no willingness to grow. And that, to me, is a whole different issue. What you do between ages 8 and 14, that is one issue. What you have done between ages 14 and 20, that is a new separate issue in the Mitchell Miller saga. You can't have it. You cannot have it. And until he gets that, then he's not going to deserve He's not going to deserve another opportunity. Texter says, oh, but Boston's management were the ones sweeping it under the rug. That is not a Boston problem. That is a sports problem. I told you this last week about Ime Udoka, right? How good you are dictates how big a problem you can be, right? Mitchell Miller's 20 years old and good. And 
because of his issues, I'm sure, willing to play for cheap, willing to take any opportunity. That is what happens, and that is what is sickening about pro sports. I love it more than anything, but Araldis Chapman gets another chance, right? And Antonio Brown got several chances. And, you know, for different reasons, different issues, Kyrie Irving gets more chances, right? Guys can be headaches and be problems when they're that good. How good you are dictates how big a problem you can be. It happens everywhere. Evander Kane, right? Great A scumbag. Skating around, you know, potentially winning the Stanley Cup. This is what sports do. It is not just a Bruins problem. It is not just a Boston problem. It is a sports-wide problem. Places will sell their soul for the chance to make another dollar or to win another championship. I am not about that. Right? It's a little easier for me to stand on the moral high horse considering I don't own a team or run a team. I recognize that. But I'm not about that. I don't want to win with those guys. And I don't want the Bruins to win with those guys either. It is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We got Aaron Deloney, UVM basketball player, in about 15 minutes. Right now, we got a very quick unpacking the Patriots. Cue the music. Which Patriots popped? To the 30, to the 20. He is in, zone, throwed, pick six, touchdown, Patriots. And which ones flopped? Jones steps up in the pocket, unloads a deep ball, and it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Look, there's not a lot for me to get to. It's pretty cut and dry. The offense was garbage. The defense was great. Number one, I told you last week, I knew there was a very real chance that Frank Reich was going to get fired, and the Colts fired him today. Fair or unfair, they fired him today, and I knew that it was close to coming. I even think my three words were uh, like last-ditch effort or Reich's last stand, something like that. I mean, the Colts were absolutely awful yesterday, right? They fired their offensive coordinator. They uh, they, they were 0-14 on third down. They benched their starting quarterback. Just a disaster, and Frank Reich was always going to fall on the sword for it, whether fair or unfair. It was just a question of when. It happened today. I was right about that. But it was bad. The Patriots couldn't move the ball either, right? The Colts were awful. The Patriots were awful too. And the offense looks like it looked last year towards the end of the season, and that wasn't good. The play calling looks tentative. Mac looks tentative. Guys can't get open. Guys can't block. Like, this is a, this is a top-down issue. I felt like Mac Jones was running for his life on every play yesterday. Right, different line combinations. Guys are injured. David Andrews isn't there. Marcus Cannon's on IR now. Like the, the line is a real problem. They committed more penalties up front. Max running. He doesn't want to make mistakes. Guys can't win battles. Devontae Parker didn't play. It was just a bad offensive performance. Yeah, Pat's. They could, I got more takes here on the blocking, but there was nothing there. Mac does. Mac does not look comfortable. We're going to spend time on that yet on that tomorrow. I don't know how you could look comfortable. Comfortable, really. I don't know how you could look comfort, comfortable under this. If guys can't get open, your play callers regressing, and you can't get any time. How could you be comfortable? If you want what was good, here's what's good. In order, Matt Judon was good. Josh Uche was good. Jonathan Jones was good. Nick Folk was good. End of unpacking the Patriots. 
Patriots had nine sacks that ties for their for their franchise record in any single game. Judon had three. Uche had three. They were living in the backfield. Uche finally taking a step forward is nice, right? They drafted him in 2020. We heard him a little bit that year. 2021, he was on the side of a milk carton. I don't remember calling his name once, all of 2021. He played very, very well yesterday. Jonathan Jones, good for him. Block a punt, have a pick six. He's athletic. He's he's multiple. He's played inside. He's played outside. That's what you're looking for. A guy who can do everything. Play in, play out, play special teams, make things happen. Those are the kind of players the Patriots and Bill Belichick value, and Jonathan Jones was that. Nick Folk is your team MVP, and that's pretty darn sad. They would be nowhere without Nick Folk. Nick Folk has outscored the offense the last two weeks, I want to say 30-12. to 12. Like, the Patriots have one offensive touchdown against the Jets, one two-yard touchdown drive yesterday against the Colts, and Nick Folk has 30 points. I think five field goals, then three field goals, plus a couple of extra points. Nick, Nick Folk's been a stud, and at 38 years old, he's proving himself completely invaluable to Bill Belichick and to this team. Bob and Moncton, who's the third-string quarterback? That would be Garrett Gilbert right now. Alex says Colts are mid-tank without question. I, I mean, the Colts are a dumpster fire. And for a team that should have gone to the playoffs last year and did go to the playoffs the year before, it's embarrassing what's happened to them. Their offensive line has regressed. Jonathan Taylor's injured. I understand that. Defensively, they were still pretty good yesterday. Patriots offense being awful helped. But the, the Colts, I mean, Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston told us yesterday that the Colts are tanking. Or uh, told us on Friday, I should say, that the Colts are tanking. All right. We're going to get plenty into the Patriots again tomorrow. We got Bob Sosi tomorrow. UVM basketball opens up their season tonight. Aaron Deloney is going to be with us momentarily. He's going to be with us next, uh, about 10 minutes, here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. We'll get you ready, though, for Catamount Hoops against Brown. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I know a lot of you right now driving to Patrick Gym. I'm going to drive there after the show ends. Catamount basketball season begins tonight. I really can't believe it. One, it feels like we were just talking about college basketball in March, you know, as we had UVM and Arkansas in the NCAA tournament matchup in Buffalo. That doesn't feel that that doesn't feel seven months ago. Also, we've had 80, you know, 75 degree temperatures, so it doesn't feel like November period right now, but here we are again. A couple of exhibition games in the books and Catamount Hoops tonight against Brown. Aaron Deloney, I spoke with him earlier today. You're going to hear that interview momentarily, but I'm very very excited for tonight. I am excited to go because because the show ends at 7. It is hard for me to get to 7 o'clock home games. I'm obviously going to get there late to this one. I'm going to see the entirety of the second half. I, I don't get a chance to go to a lot of games, especially during the week. So I'm just excited to be in the gym, period, and be amongst 
2,500 to 3,000 other Catamount fans that are happy to see Hoops back. So that's number one. I'm excited for the environment. I'm excited for the band. I'm excited for the pageantry. I'm excited to see Coach Brennan. I'm excited for all of it because it's such a staple of our state that I love being a part of it, and I love being in the building, especially when I don't get to go enough. I'm also sitting courtside, which I almost never do. Usually when I go to UVM games, I sit up in the rafters where there's, you know, I have a seat and I sit up in the rafters where nobody else is and I just watch the game from up on high. I'm actually sitting press row today for this game. So I'm going to have great seats to UVM and Brown. I am excited to see TJ Sorrentine. I have talked to TJ Sorrentine a bunch. I have never actually met him. So TJ and I talked today. I'm going to try to introduce myself formally after the game, but this is one of the most important people in UVM basketball history. And I know that the fans appreciate their history and they appreciate their catamounts. So TJ Sorrentine is going to get a rousing ovation, and I can't wait to hear it. I probably won't hear it live because I won't be there before the game starts, but I will get to see it on video and get a chance to talk to TJ after the game, and I'm sure he will be appreciative as well. There is a very big-time relationship there between Catamount Faithful and TJ Sorrentine. So I'm excited for that. And then moving to just UVM itself, I just want to see this team. Right, Every year there is an excitement about Catamount basketball. And every year the excitement is a little bit different, right? One year, you're excited to see a reigning player of the year come back. The next year, you're excited to see a group of veteran-laden players take the next step. And Every year, the excitement level is different. This year is exciting because it's new. Right, Last year was very much UVM was a known commodity. We knew who Ryan Davis was. We knew who Ben Shungu was. We knew who Isaiah Powell was. We knew who Justin Mazzula was. And while there were still questions within their games and what their productivity levels would be, we knew who the players were and we knew who the leaders would be of this team. We don't know that yet on this team. We think we have an idea that Dylan Penn is going to be great. We think we have an idea that Finn Sullivan's going to do this or Aaron Deloney, who we're going to talk to, is going to do that. But it's a new team with seven new players. There's going to be new players that step up. Maybe it's night to night, or maybe it's over the course of the entire season. But there's there's a newness to this team. Nothing for this team is a given. You have different opponents now within the league. Stony Brook's gone. Hartford's gone. Bryant's in. So that's new. And you have seven new players, and some of which I think are going to contribute. And then you're going to have new team leaders and a new leading scorer. And just fresh fit. I just, I, I'm excited for tonight. As for, you know, as for what the team will do tonight and what I'm looking for. It's a lot of what I was looking for throughout the preseason, right? If you're asking me to pinpoint what I want to see today, it's fairly simple, right? It's fairly simple. I want to know if, you know, if Dylan Penn is going to play. And so, you know, him, I'm obviously curious about, but then I want to see how Aaron Deloney is. Okay, you're going to hear me ask him about consistency. Consistency is something that that is my buzzword for Aaron Deloney this year. Can he be consistent? He can score 26 at the drop of a hat. Guys that do that oftentimes can score six at the drop of a hat. I want to see him consistent. Can he get to that 14-15 every single night for the entirety of the year? That, that to me, is a top question for this team. Two, can they rebound? Because Middlebury... Even them in rebounding, I think at 40-40 in the final preseason game. That's unacceptable. 
If you are a Division One team, you should not be tying Division Three teams in rebounding. They have to find a way to rebound, and they have to be able to do it at a good enough level against the kind of teams that we want them to be able to beat. I want to see how Finn Sullivan is as the primary ball handler. I want to see TJ Hurley, who scored 21 against Middlebury, and what he can do over the course of a, you know, how many minutes he's going to play, how many shots is he going to take, how, many, how, how aggressive is he going to be. I want to see all of these things. They're all things that I have mentioned. How are they in the post, both defensively and offensively? They're all things that I have mentioned. A lot of them are things we have seen over the course of the two preseason games, and now we need to see them on the big-time stage. And we're going to a little while from now. Again, a lot of you driving up to Patrick Jim. I'm going to be up there at the conclusion of the show here at 7 o'clock. I did speak to UVM basketball player Aaron Deloney earlier. And now we play it out. I just simply started out by telling Aaron, hey, it's opening night. We're all excited for Catamount Hoops. How are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. How you been? I've been well. I appreciate you being with us. We're excited for Catamount Hoops. Your team went 2-0 and in the exhibition season, beating St. Mike's and Middlebury College. Uh, opening night, always a fun one. What's the vibe around this team right now as you get ready for another season? Um, we're, you know, a really good group. We got uh, a lot of experienced guys as well as a lot of younger guys. So I think right now we're just taking strides and trying to get everybody uh, playing together and uh, trying to mix and intertwine our new with the young. What is going to be the hallmark of this team? When people come out to Patrick Jim, what are they going to see this team be about? Um, I think how, how, how fun we can play on the court. And uh, I think our pace will be really good because we have so many athletic guys that can run up and down the court. We can defend, get in pass lanes and get rebounds and, and really run. It's a different team than last year, right? There's a lot of guys that are gone. Isaiah Powell's gone. Benny's gone. Davis is gone. Missoula's gone. A lot of guys are gone. Yeah. What about this group should give everybody confidence that the team's not going to experience any drop-off because there's a lot of talent coming back? Right. Uh, I think the older guys you mentioned did a good job with their leadership in uh, getting the guys under them to step up and really fill those roles. I think uh, Robin Duncan, Finn Sullivan, myself, Nick, guys that have uh, been there, uh, I think really can take on those leadership roles and do the same for the younger guys. You know, we're going to do a – a really good job of leading the younger guys and uh, get everybody to where they need to be so we can win games. What what stood out to you positively from the two exhibition games? Um, honestly, I think just the way we, we share the ball. You know, the first game we saw, first exhibition game, we saw a lot of zone. So I think, uh, you know, we rotated a lot of guys in there and the way we moved it offensively was pretty good. I think defensively, though, is a spot that we really got to step up, especially coming from that second game. Let me just ask you an off question about Middlebury because this show is heard in all of Vermont. So we do have people that like Middlebury as well. That's a Division Three program. They were, they're a very good Division Three program. What stood out to you from them? Because they they seem to be pretty impressive themselves. Yeah, Middlebury uh, is a is a really great school. You know, it was my first time playing them, but they but they got all, all my respect. You know, um, they they play hard, hard as hell, man. They they really crash the offensive boards, the defensive glass, and they play hard for uh, the all all forty minutes out there. So their program, you know, they're really well coached. They get into their actions, and they know what they're doing out there. So that's a really good team. Let me ask you about you now. You're in your senior year, and I know there's another year. I forget what year everybody is now because of COVID years. I think you got one more after this. I got one more year after this. So if you want it. But you came here from Oregon, you know, nearly 3,000 miles away. What brought you to UVM in the first place? Um, Well, I came on my visit initially, and the culture here was just something that stood out immediately. 
from the coaches all the way to the players, uh, from the guys working uh, in the building. I think everybody just had this like connectiveness about them. And I really loved it. It really felt like family and they welcomed me like just on my visits. So uh, I think the culture part and the way they know how to win basketball games. I've been a winner my whole life. And that's something I really wanted to do coming into college. UVM basketball guard Aaron Deloney with us here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. You know, I was talking to Coach Brennan a couple of days ago, and he really praised you in a number of different ways. But one of the things he he said kind of in a roundabout way was like, I'm, I'm proud of him that he stayed because it wasn't always easy, right, to crack the rotation, some good Definitely. guards. You didn't score that much in the COVID 2020 year, but you stayed. And in the era of the transfer portal, that's no longer a given. Guys are, are, are leaving programs left and right. Did you ever think about leaving? Why did you want to stay and, and, and stick it out? Um, I just think uh, that's just who I am as a person. And, uh, you know, obviously it tested my character, not being able to play a lot my sophomore year, that COVID year. I uh, tested a lot of things, but um, just who I am as a person, I'm, I'm a loyal guy. And I, I kind of stay down with, with who messes with me. And, you know, Vermont was a team that, that, that really loved me and wanted me to come here. So, uh, it wasn't really in me to just jump ship like that, like a lot of guys do. So I wanted to stay down and really create and continue something at a place that wanted me. So This is a question not so much about you, but I've watched a lot of basketball players and I've seen a lot of guys who can do this. Guys who can come out and just get white hot. And you are yeah. that kind of player, right? Can go for 20 with ease, 25 with ease. Yeah. But sometimes those kind of players are inconsistent. 25-1 game, four the next. 27-1 game, six the next. How do you not fall victim to that to be a consistent player this year for this program? Uh, I just try to do what the coaches tell me, honestly. You know, when I have games like that where I'm uh, – where I know every shot I shoot uh, has a great chance of going in, I just, you know, try to try to stay in my game, run the plays that the coaches are running, not get outside of myself, and that's what I do. And I think that's what leads to it is just letting the game come to me uh, trusting myself, trusting my teammates at all times. I can make six in a row, but if I got two on me, I'm going to make the right play. You know what I'm saying? And just uh, little things like that, just trusting the system and uh, doing the right thing on, on offense. One of the things that impressed me about your game against St. Mike's, so you had 26 points, you hit five threes, I think five for five, but you also got to the free throw line seven times. And yeah. how important is that to have that be a part of your game? Because, you know, not just being a guy who floats around the perimeter and that's yeah. all they can do. Uh, I, I think it's really big, you know, in order to free yourself up for threes, you got to drive a couple of times and get fouled uh, so you can get those uh, three point opportunities. And, uh, I try to get to the line as much as I can just to put pressure on the defense. Uh, and when they foul, that's easy points for us. I, you know, free throws are a kind of an easy thing. So uh, it's an easy way to get points and get the other team in foul trouble. It's a uh, tough non-conference schedule for you guys. Begins tonight against Brown. You get out the California trip, Bahamas, Miami. Any place you're uh, particularly looking forward to going in this non-conference slate? Oh, man, I can't wait for Cali. I'm glad you asked that question. <laughs> I've I got a lot of family in California, actually. Uh, so I think just getting back to the West Coast in general will, will be really fun. I haven't been there in all my, my college years. So it'll be really fun to get, get back there, maybe see some family, uh, maybe some family from Portland will come down. We'll hopefully have a good time and get wins there. Most important question is I, I grew up on the West Coast also. I grew up in Seattle. Uh, okay. Are you a Mariners and Seahawks fan? Because if so, then we can rock with each other even further. But if not. <laughs> so I'm not big on baseball and football, but I will say I support both of those. My big brother, who's actually in the Air Force, is a big Seahawks fan. 
his room is decorated with Seahawks uh, gear and all that. So he's a big Seahawk fan. And my first baseball game ever was actually a Mariners game. So I can say I like the Mariners. Well, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that. Is there a uh, an NBA guy that you used to look up to or model your game after a guy you like watching play? Uh, yeah. Damian Lillard, when he first got in the league, yeah. was a really big guy, you know, coming from a small school in Weaver State. Um, I just felt like we kind of embodied the same kind of things and characteristics in our game, having that underdog mentality and always playing with a chip on his shoulder. And that's something I try to do a lot, uh, as well as Ja Morant. He's just such a dog on the court. And uh, I try to play like that, too, have some swagger and fun every time I'm out there. If I walked into the Catamount locker room pregame, who's controlling the music? Who's picking the music? Pregame? Um, either myself or Cam Gibson. Okay. He's got, he's got a nice playlist going. We get, we're a couple, uh, couple weeks away from Thanksgiving. Who would, which Catamount would cook the Thanksgiving meal the best? Oh, my gosh. We got a, a lot of young guys in the dorm, so definitely none of them. <laughs> um, at the house, maybe, maybe Duncan, maybe Duncan or, or Will. They, they they cook a lot. If you ask Robin this question, he'd probably say himself, but everybody else in the house would tell you no. So probably Duncan or Will. I think I asked that same question to Ernie like five years ago, and he also said himself. So it must the Duncans <laughs> must think highly of their cooking abilities. Yeah, it has to be the Duncans. The Duncans are like that, man. Between the Duncans and Dylan Penn. Is Evansville, Indiana, the basketball mecca of the universe or something? I'd never even heard of Evansville, Indiana, and everybody at UVM played there. Exactly. Me either until I got here. It's, it's crazy. It must be. You know, Dylan Penn, uh, a guy who's battled injury through the preseason, what was it like trying to get ready for a season? Knowing he's going to be a big part of it, but you're playing without him so much through the preseason. What was that like for you guys? You know, definitely tough. Uh, you know, like you said, he was obviously a big focal point, a big part of our team this year, and – uh, not having them um, do those practices, do those two exhibition games uh, could hurt. Uh, you know, might run a lot of our offense to him. You know, he might be big on the defensive side. So, you know, that's what the exhibition games are for, just to uh, get your guys out there and see what everybody can do together. But me and Dill have had our talks, man. I'm uh, very happy he's back now. And uh, hopefully he can uh, get back to full strength, contribute a lot for us like we know we can do. Three-point contest after practice. Who's winning? You, Hurley, Sullivan, or somebody else? Me. No, no question. No question. <laughs> How much are you winning by? If, if it's out of 10, are you hitting all 10? Yeah, especially if it's, if it's a competition on the line. I'm super competitive, so I'm definitely taking myself. I'm going 10 for 10. They might go 10 for 10 too, but somehow I'm, I'm going to win it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're looking forward to seeing that competitiveness and that shooting prowess on display later tonight. Catamounts open it up against Brown, Patrick, Jim, 7 o'clock. I'm going to be there. Looking forward to everybody else being there as well. Aaron Deloney with us now. Aaron, man, we appreciate it. Thanks for the time. Good luck this season. Thank you. So man. that was my talk earlier with Aaron Deloney, the UVM basketball star, and I think there's a couple of things that stand out immediately. One, he's not a Mariners fan. That disappoints me. I'm glad, though, that his brother is a Seahawks fan, so we got that, the Northwest connection. I got to take him where I can get him. So there's that. But aside from him not being a Mariners fan, a lot of good stuff there. One, you can just tell the confidence, right? And good shooters have a confidence. Good shooters have an arrogance about them. And I don't mean arrogance in a bad way. Right, like a good quarterback who thinks they can make the throws, like a cornerback who's able to forget getting beat for a touchdown and thinks they're going to get the pick or the stop the next time. Good shooters have that kind of quality. Aaron Deloney does not lack confidence. 
He's going to take his shot. He's going to see his shot, and he believes he's going to hit every shot that he takes, and I appreciate that, and this team is going to benefit from that attitude. As long as he is smart with his shot selection, then he's going to be good. I do believe he's got the ability to score. Obviously, we've seen that. I mentioned consistency being my buzzword for him. He knows it, and he wants to get to that point as well. So that stood out. He talked about us being able to see a team that can do a little bit of everything, that can play defense, that can run, that can shoot. There's a lot to like about Deloney. There's a lot to like about that interview, and there's a lot to like about what's coming tonight against Brown as we are just now you know, a handful of minutes away from the tip-off up, uh, up at Patrick Gym in Burlington. Deloney's going to be a fun guy to watch. He is going to be a fun guy to watch. There have been a lot of fun guys here to watch in Burlington. But Deloney is a guy who he just has the ability that no one else has had in Catamount Country the last couple of years to get hot. And he is going to, it's going to be fun to watch him get on a heater. He's just got to be able to consistently, consistently find his scoring ability. I also loved what he said. This is what Coach Brennan told us last week. I love what he said about sticking it out here. He said, like, I'm not built to quit. I'm built to make things work. I'm built to power through. Aaron Del- I, I do give him a lot of credit. In the era of the transfer portal, in the era of everybody picking up their ball and going home, Aaron Deloney easily could have done that. But he stuck it out here 3,000 miles away, and he waited now until what is his fourth year in the program to have a really good shot to contribute all the time. 2020 was not a good season for him. He averaged less than two points a game in that COVID year. Less than two points a game. And two years later, I'm expecting him and counting on him to get double figures. Right, It would be one thing if Aaron Deloney was from down the street and decided to stick it out at UVM. He's from Portland, Oregon. He could have gone home and said, you know what, I, I'm going to go find myself closer to home, and he didn't. And I think there's a, a, an immense amount of credit to him and his personality and his willingness to make things work and to keep working. And there is a degree of credit that goes to John Becker and his staff as well because – one of the hardest things to do in coaching is recruiting, and now in today's transfer portal transfer portal world, you have to re-recruit your own players. And John Becker said, "Okay, I'm going to." You know, he's found a way to connect with Aaron Deloney to make him want to stay, and that is a skill. That is a skill. Uh, one wild piece of America East news today, which is just interesting is that Hartford coach John Gallagher announced his resignation from Hartford today. Now remember, Hartford's not in the America East anymore, so I guess it's now former America East news. But it's it's interesting gossip, really. Hartford's out of the America East. Hartford is leaving Division One. They're in Division One right now, but they're transitioning to Division Three. So Hartford is going to be a laughingstock, right? It's, you, you can't recruit players that are going to lose scholarships and all that. So they're just going to be a laughing stock until they're officially in Division Three. I'm convinced of it. So they're not in the America East. So John Gallagher took him to the... Remember, John Gallagher took him to the tournament in 2021. Right? In the... Uh, in the COVID... Right, so COVID hits in 2020. We canceled the America East tournament. 2020, 2021, that COVID season... John Gallagher takes them to the tournament. NCAA tournament. They're, they're there. They win the America East final, and they go on to the NCAA tournament. Everything that's happened since then has just been awful. 
They're leaving the America East. They're losing out on Division One. Gallagher's the guy trying to fight the good fight, as I understand it, to keep it going. He loses that fight, and now on the day before the season starts, he says, I'm out. That, to me, feels like a coordinated effort to screw the university, and frankly, I'm here for it. I feel bad for the kids that might be being used as a pawn in some of this, but uh, John Gallagher has been the biggest champion of that university's athletic department for a long time, and he gets screwed. I get it. I get him saying, I'm out here in defiance. Like, go look at Hartford's schedule. They, they're, in, they're in no conference. They are playing a schedule where they're playing multiple teams multiple times. They're playing St. Francis College of Brooklyn twice in an 11-day period. They're playing Sacred Heart twice. They're playing Chicago State University twice. I mean, it's a bad schedule. It, it, it's a bad schedule. It's They're playing multiple Division three programs. They've got three games against D3 programs, right? They're playing NVU Linden, Houghton, and FDU Florham, which I do believe is D3. So, yeah, that three Division three teams, at least. So I get why he wants out. I get why he wants out. The whole thing is a joke. The whole thing that's happened to the program and the athletic department has been a joke, and I get why he doesn't want to be a part of it. And it does feel like a coordinated attack. So that is your uh, you know, former America East member gossip. Um Oh, I'm just coming across a. I'm just coming across the resignation letter from John Gallagher. Actually, oh, this is saucy now. So maybe it's not a coordinated effort. Actually, so I, I just, I just said, thought maybe he was just trying to screw the program or screw the athletic department that screwed him. He's actually saying what led to this. He says that basically the program has been kneecapped, which we obviously know and can see, and I just mentioned that, loose scholarships, etc. He also says the university did not send an athletic trainer to an exhibition game. A player got hurt. He can't have that. Said that they didn't, they're not going to give him money, his team money for food. So it's less about trying to screw the university than that the university has just screwed the program so bad he can no longer be a part of it because he'll, you know, he can't represent the university, basically. So it's not necessarily a coordinated effort by him to screw uh, to screw the school. It is just a uh, it's a response to how he can Tim and his program continue to be screwed. That yeah, that is saucy. That is terrible, by the way. Not allowing food money and not sending an athletic trainer. That is uh like we got that stuff at Division three. Like at Division three, we got food money and an athletic trainer on site. So, come on, give me a break. All right, before we get out of here, I just want to give up reminder that UVM game is now just minutes away. I am going to be there. If you see me up at Patrick Gym and you want to say hello, I'll be on press roll. I'm looking, I cannot wait for the game. Do I think UVM is going to win? I'll be honest, I don't know a whole lot about Brown right now, so I'm going totally on emotion here. I think UVM wins, and I think it's lower scoring. I think it's 68-65. UVM played well against Brown last year on the road. They won that game late. It was close. Brown was good. I'll say 68-65 UVM. But again, that's totally an emotional pick. I don't have my Ivy League scouting report down on Brown. I do want to put just a bow on on baseball season. Okay. The Astros won the World Series and a couple housekeeping things here. You need to know. So now, as a result of the Astros winning the World Series, we are into the offseason. 
teams have started making moves in the sense that they can decline player options, players can exercise options, become free agents, whatever. And so for the Red Sox, Xander Bogarts has officially opted out. So he is going to be a free agent. Now, the Red Sox have an exclusive window where they can negotiate with him exclusively until free agency begins. That's later this week. I believe it's Thursday. So they have a few days where they can where they can negotiate exclusively with him. So Bogarts will hit the open market after that window ends. Again, I believe Thursday. Now that Xander Bogarts is going to be a free agent, the Red Sox have said that they are going to issue, or I have read, rather, that they're going to issue Xander Bogarts a qualifying offer. And what a qualifying offer is is a one-year deal. And this year, that one-year deal is about $19.6 million. So Xander Bogarts had an offer. We had a deal where it's three years and $60 million, $20 million a year. He's turned that down. The Red Sox are going to offer him one for 19.6. Why? The reason is because if Xander Bogarts accepts, well, then great. You got him for one year, $19 million. That's not going to happen. If he declines and signs somewhere else, the Red Sox get a high draft pick in exchange for that. So that protects you, right? If you get the player, then great. If he takes the qualifying offer, great. If you re-sign him to a longer deal, great. If he leaves, you get something. So that is how this works. When you when you look to yourself, why would they offer him one year 19 when he already had 20 a year guaranteed potentially? It's all because of the potential draft pick. We will have much, much more on the Red Sox, much, much more on, uh, on Xander Bogarts. We'll do that throughout the entirety of the offseason. Right now, though, it's about to be Catamount Hoops time. And I need to I need to get to Patrick Jim. And then when the game is over, I need to go home and figure out how to, my God, make this proper Expedia complaint. Because it's absolutely absurd what I endured in Massachusetts the other day. If you missed my spiel from the beginning of the show, go back and find it on the podcast channel. Because what happened to us in Massachusetts at our hotel... I don't wish upon anybody, and I have to figure out a way to formally make my complaint against Expedia to get my money back, but they've decided to make the complaint section like Fort Knox, and I can't figure it out. So when the game ends, I need to spend two hours in front of a computer, apparently, and try. I'm a college graduate with a from the honors program. I should be able to figure out how to make an Expedia complaint, but evidently, they don't want you to figure out how to make an Expedia complaint, so... I'll spend my night doing that. I'll also spend it watching Catamount Hoops. Thanks to Aaron Deloney. We'll talk more about UVM tomorrow. Bob Sosi, the voice of the Patriots, will be with us as well. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and always streaming on the free WDEV radio app.